What's up, Hawks fans? Welcome to another episode of Sweater Weather, a Chicago Blackhawks podcast. My name is Luke. Joining me once again is Abe. How you doing, Abe? I am doing all right today. Fantastic. Sleepy, though. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're telling me about how uh, 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 you were having trouble sleeping through the night. Yeah, went to bed a little late. Parents got back from Mexico at like 12.30, 12.40 in the morning, so... The dog started barking and woke me up, so I had to be up by six to get ready for work. So not fun. That sucks. That sucks. Uh, uh, so a couple of items before we uh, uh, dive into this. Well, r- really one item. I'm thinking that uh, so uh, up to this point, in the first in the first two episodes, I had them labeled as uh, season one, episode one, and season one, episode two. I'm okay with the season part, but. I'm thinking that I might change like the episode number to like the date because uh, to me I feel like uh, people coming in they might see like oh episode 20 or something that's like I'm I'm way behind you know I gotta I gotta listen to these sequentially uh, which is really not the case you can really just jump in at the latest episode I'm th- I feel like it's also it's probably more pertinent for people to know how recent the episodes are when they dive into it like uh i mean uh, granted you're you should ideally you should never be more than like two weeks behind but i i think that uh it'll probably be more useful for people to know what date we recorded the episode on um so i think moving forward i'm going to switch to that format um so that's about it that's 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 all i had for like housekeeping um Let's dive right into some news. Uh, so, uh, item number one, since we last met up here, uh, Crawford is back, and he does not look like he's had ten months off. Uh, he's got a three one and zero record, a nine forty six save percentage through four games, and a one point five two goals against average, which is uh, pretty astonishing. I mean, granted, it's only four games; it's a small sample size, but there's there's nothing about his game that like he passes the eye test you know he doesn't look like a guy who's had 10 months off his uh his tracking's great his positioning's great yeah it's more on the defense than anything that most of the goal he's given up yeah yeah um there have been there have been some tough goals that he's given up and I, I mean tough in that, like, like there's really nothing he could have done to, to prevent them. Like, a couple of those goals against, um, uh, a, a couple of goals that were scored against him in his first game back against Arizona. Like, there was, like, a two-on-one, and then uh, there were some, some really bad defensive lapses, like, things like that that I don't blame him for at all. Uh, and then in that game against Columbus, he's really the reason that we won that game. He stole two points for us because we uh, Columbus had possession the entire time it's it's actually quite astounding that we didn't give up like I, I just feel like if we had a guy like Forsberg or uh, Ward in that we would have given up at least three goals that night yeah I didn't watch the game but did I watch I don't think I did the Columbus game I did Actually, I did watch the Columbus game. He did look pretty good. Since his start in Arizona, he's given up one goal in each of his last three games. So, like, that's, that's like the old Crawford. Yeah. <clears throat> Although, I, I do have to say, last game against the Rangers, that one, uh, you know, he played fine. He But he only faced, like, 27 shots or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. That that game, I think, was... Uh, we won that one based on just playing a more complete game uh, and not having ridiculous defensive lapses all around. Um, I do remember there was a really bad turnover by Brandon Manning at one point, but otherwise uh, it was a solid game. Um, although I wouldn't get too high on the fact that we beat the Rangers simply because the, the Rangers are, I think, the only team in the league right now that is openly rebuilding like. Like, who have come out and said, we're hitting the reset button. I mean, you got teams like Detroit, who are allegedly rebuilding. 
but you know they haven't come out and outright said it. Uh, Detroit also like they do they'll do weird things like they'll they'll uh, they'll they'll sell off some guys like Tomas Tatar at the the trade deadline or uh, Peter Morazic. And then they'll go and make some big free agency acquisition that really looks like they're trying to compete. I, so I don't know what's going on with them. Um, so the Hawks are off to a hot start. 6-2-2 two, and two in their first 10 games, which I think is a lot better than most people thought that they would do. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I was actually I was actually kind of pulling for you remember the first four games they were like two zero and two I was kind of pulling for them to go forty one zero and forty one because that would have just been astounding I mean obviously that wasn't ever going to really play out in actuality but uh, but forty one zero and forty one is good for one hundred and twenty three points which will almost certainly win you the president's trophy which is crazy because like you technically would have a losing record. Or not a losing record, but you, you'd be... You'd be 500. Yeah. I I mean, if you count the overtime losses as losses, then yeah, it's, you're, you're 500. You, you've only won 50% of your games, which... Which is crazy. Actually, I, I just had an idea for another uh, discussion topic. Um, okay, so... We, we did have that one really bad game against Tampa. That second period, the, uh, the Blackhawks actually set a record, an NHL record, for allowing 33 shots on goal in the second period alone. Um, wow. Which is the most shots on goal that have been given up in a single period since, I think, 97, 98, when the league started tracking shots on goal by period. Uh so that was a really bad game. Um, and I, I would credit that partially to, obviously partially to our subpar defense. You know, w- when you get deeper into the depth chart than um, Keith and uh, Yoki Haru on that top line, it's really, it's really a bunch of like five, sixes, and sevens. Um, uh, but I'd also, I'd also credit it to the fact that Tampa is just a really talented team. They are fast as hell. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's quite a departure from 2015. Remember shutting them out in Game Six? Yeah. Duncan Keith scored the game-winning goal. Won the Smythe that year. Those are the days. Um. Uh, however, uh, they did. They played a, a much better game against Anaheim the next game, and then they played a really complete game against uh, the Rangers. I don't know that I expect that trend to continue. If there's anything we've learned about the Blackhawks in the last couple of years is that they are not a consistent team. On some nights they do play like... On some nights they do genuinely play like contenders, uh, but then on some nights they just... They're just awful. They're you know there are uh, turnovers left and right. There are like the sometimes the offense just isn't clicking. Sometimes uh, sometimes the veterans aren't showing up, and guys like Patrick Kane look frustrated because the only guys he has to uh, play with are uh, you know sometimes he'll get stuck with like these bottom six guys like um, uh, who was he stuck with recently? It was like. Um, like John Hayden or yeah I think it was Hayden someone like that they yeah I don't recall like uh, Saad got bumped down to the third line one game and they put in I don't recall it was some bottom six guy um so yeah we're definitely going to need to see more games play out before we can really decide how good this team is truly but the fact that we're performing as well as we are without Connor Murphy or Gustav Forsling is kind of incredible. And hell, we even did, uh, we were, what, like 4-0-2 in the first six games uh, before Crawford came back with just Cam Ward. Like, even that was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd credit that to the fact that 
Uh, Taves seems to be playing like his old self again, and um, Patrick Kane is Patrick Kane. Yep, yep. He's he's gonna be. Uh, he's like slump proof. He's he's honestly like slump proof. Like his his worst season is I don't know. Like in a bad season, you can expect him to get like seventy points or something. Yeah, and then who's been? You know who I'm surprised if it has been playing really well for Tane. Yeah, yeah. Like I, like I didn't know what I had as far as expectations of him entering the season, but he he's been playing really well. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he gets bumped up to one of the top two lines at some point. I could see it. He's. He's a really fast kid. He's um, he's great at creating those high danger chances. Uh, his problem up to this point, I think, has been his inability to finish. He's got he's got great legs, but he doesn't have he didn't have the hands to match up with that. He kind of had that um, the same problem that uh, Vinny Henestrosa had for a couple of years up until last season when he was really starting to look like a genuine NHL player. Mm-hmm. Um, but lately. Uh, Fortane's looking more like, like he can finish those big plays, which is awesome. Um, I, we really need some of these, uh, some of these younger guys, some of these bottom six guys to surprise us. Because I feel like that's been a little bit of a weak point with the Hawks. Like some of the younger players that they've given chances on the main roster haven't been, like the past few seasons haven't played. Mm-hmm. As well as they should have been. Yeah. As well as they could have. Yeah. Like, who was the other guy that was um, drafted alongside Schmaltz that one season, and they were both on the team, was it two seasons ago? And the Hawks um, ended up trading him because... Ryan Hartman. No, not Hartman. Um, um, oh, what was his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, no, no, Hartman was a, a 2013 pick. Uh, Schmaltz was a 2014 pick. Um, I don't remember. Was it TVR? Not TVR. Uh, <clears throat> trying to remember. I'm looking it up in the meantime. <laughs> um, while you figure that out, um, so uh, Anton Forsberg uh, is now in Rockford. He was placed on waivers, and he cleared waivers, uh, which is we weren't certain that he was actually going to clear waivers. Uh, if he was sent down, um, simply because he's, I, I know it's, it's easy for, a, I know a lot of Hawks fans have, uh, been pretty down on Anton Forsberg after last season, um, and perhaps deservingly so, but I really do think that he has a higher ceiling than most people give him credit for, especially Blackhawks fans. Um, when, when he was forced into that starter role, uh, in December or January of last season, he'd only played, I think like he played fewer than 20 NHL games in his career, but he certainly has a higher ceiling than how he looked last year because he, he had a pretty successful career in the AHL. He had a, uh, uh, he's got a Calder Cup under his belt, um, and he's he's young. I think he's like 24, 26, something like that. Um, you look like you figured it out. Yeah. It was 2013. Tyler Mott, that was the guy. Oh, Tyler Mott, yeah. Yeah, he was traded with uh, Panarin to Columbus in exchange for Forsberg and Brandon Saad. Um, <clears throat> so, Forsberg is in Rockford. And now they have a bit of a conundrum there because they're now carrying three goaltenders. Uh, they've got, in addition to Forsberg, they've got Colin Delia and they've got um, in, I think. And I don't really know what you do in that situation because all three, all three of these guys are guys that you want playing and developing. You want to see if any of these guys have what it takes to be a future number one. Um, I mean, I would think, and haven't AHL team like NHL teams like loaned some of their AHL players to like European leagues 
I think so. I mean, I could see that as a possibility if yeah. they had that conundrum with the three goalies. Just a lone one to yeah, that's, the KHL or something. Yeah, that's, that's certainly an option. I mean, it, I guess the alternative is you, like... You you bump your your AHL NHL tweener down to Rockford, and then you bump your your uh, ECHL AHL tweener down to the Indy Fuel, and just keep like going down the line. Um, but yeah, you definitely want these guys playing. You want these guys starting games and uh, getting experience, and uh, you want them learning. So uh, you don't you don't want them sitting. You want them sitting for a long period of time. <clears throat> okay, so in a previous episode, we discussed Joel Quinville's odds of being the first coach fired during the season. And after the Hawks' hot start, it's looking like his odds have been reduced from 11 to 4 all the way down to 30 to 1. Uh, I, let, me, let me pull up this, this, uh, this tweet one more time. Let me see who is ahead of him. Who else has moved around here? Um, now the most popular choice is John Stevens. Now, John Stevens. Who does, who does he coach? Um, the LA Kings. The LA Kings. Uh, that's a team who used to be really good and is probably going to suck forever. Um, Uh, so, yeah, um, given what we know now, you think Hugh's gonna get fired? I mean, it's still too small of a sample size. Yeah. Still way too small. I think I said 30. 30 games was my benchmark. Yeah. That, that seems... And I'm sticking to it. That seems fair to me. Um, yeah, I mean, if... I, I, it was in like that first or second episode that I, I laid out my, my terms for what would constitute, what would constitute Hugh getting axed. Um, and so far, so far it's looking like his job security is, uh, intact. So we'll see how that plays out. If we like, I don't know, it's, I think someone would have to go pretty wrong um, in order for Q to get fired at this point, or if we, like, if we miss the playoffs again, then maybe he gets fired in the offseason. But uh, for now, he's looking like he's safe. <clears throat> so the last news item, and this isn't Hawks-related, but I wanted to throw it in there because I think a lot of Hawks fans will enjoy hearing about it. <clears throat> Arby's in Detroit has altered the terms of their free Curly Fry hat trick promotion. Under the previous terms of the promotion... Customers would receive a free order of curly fries when a Red Wings player scored a hat trick. Due to the team's recent struggles, however, the terms of the promotion have been altered to apply whenever the team scores three goals as a collective, rather than just as one player. Uh, quote, we want to continue to reward fans and give them the best chance possible to get free Arby's curly fries, an Arby's spokesperson said via email. After last season, we realized that there were too many, excuse me, there were too few occurrences of hat tricks, leaving fans hungry for more curly fries. <laughs> this year, we hope to reward our diehard Arby's and Red Wings fans with a chance to savor our curly fries more often. The Red Wings are currently 1, 7, and 2 in their first 10 games. Ouch. Yeah, they are, they're projected at this point to be uh, probably the last team in the league in the standings this year. Um, maybe Ottawa is worse than them. But, uh, yeah, they are, like, like I said earlier, they're in some kind of, like, ambiguous rebuild. Um, I think the, the projected first overall pick for 2019 is going to be Jack Hughes, who is the younger brother of, what was his name? Was it Quinn Hughes? Or something like that. It was one of the guys who was picked this year um, in the first round. Uh, so, looks like the uh, there's a very good chance that the Red Wings will be the beneficiary of the first overall pick in 2019. <clears throat> you know what? Those curly fries are really damn good, so 
good on Arby's to change that promotion for Detroit. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of them. Um, and maybe there are some longtime Hawks fans out there who will, uh, uh, who will like hearing about this. Okay, so on to some discussion topics. Uh, first one I have here. With Crawford's apparent return to form and the team's hot start, will Stan Bowman look to make use of the team's $5 million of cap space? I, so, oh, go ahead. Uh, my, my initial thoughts here are that would be the smart thing to do. Um, we could probably find a top four. There are probably top four defensemen out there who have a, uh, a cap hit of $5 million or under. Um, especially if you're only paying them for part of the season. Um, there are some factors here that severely reduce the likelihood of that happening, however. <clears throat> um, not the least of which is that we don't really have a lot of trade chips. Um, we, our, our system is, uh, is, is kind of bare at the moment. Um, the best prospects that we have that we could trade would be like Dylan Sakira, who I think like we're, I think we're definitely counting on him staying a Blackhawk for a while. Um, there's also Victor Aidsel who has underperformed this year. He was recently a healthy scratch for the Ice Hogs, which is crazy because he had a great, uh, he had a great postseason run um, in Rockford this past season. Um, <clears throat> another factor is that it would have to be like a trade deadline acquisition or something because we do have that cap space, but I know that Bowman intends to use that cap space in the future for Nick Schmaltz's next contract and for Alex DeBrinkett's next contract. Because we're kind of banking on these guys being uh, some of our star players moving forward. Uh, they will be, at least according to the organization, they will be part of the, the future core. Like, they are the new guard. Uh, Taves, Kane, uh, uh, Keith, Seabrook, these guys aren't going to be around forever. And at some point, Schmaltz, Debrinkit, and a handful of other new guys are going to take over, and they're going to be the next 10 years of Blackhawks hockey. So what do you think? What Do you think there's any way that this $5 million in cap space gets used? Um, I think it depends on the team. Like, once again, based on see how the team performs, up until like maybe that 30 point benchmark see whether they can keep up the hot start or if they begin to bottom out okay so i think if they continue to somewhat exceed the expectations of them i definitely think they'll try to make a move or two so let's say the trade deadline rolls around and it's looking like we're in the playoff picture Maybe we're hovering around like three or four in the division. Like, uh, we're we're either number three or we're looking like we could slip into a wild card spot. I would think, at, even if they're still looking in for a um, for a wild card spot, I definitely think that they would still probably consider making a move. So, I mean, <clears throat> if you're right on that border, obviously you're going to want to try to make a move to help push you mm -hmm. over. So instead of just being like, oh, okay, we're, we're okay where we are. If we make the playoffs, good. If not, oh, well. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, I, I think it'd be better for them to, like, once again, just see how how the team is doing as a whole up until around the trade trade deadline and mm -hmm. then determine whether they either try to 
be a buyer or seller. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think the only, the only things that we'd really have that we could give up would be picks. And at that point, you're like, if you want a top four defenseman, you're probably going to give up like a 2019 first rounder at least. Uh, <clears throat> and at that point, you're kind of leveraging your future. And the Hawks are kind of in this precarious situation where the, the old guard is on their way out and the new guard isn't quite ready yet. Um, so you kind of have to... It's this careful balancing act of... You, you, almost, you almost have like a season or two where guys like Kane and Taves will be good enough to win a fourth cup. But where your uh, your your younger guys, your your Schmaltzes, your Debrinkets, your uh, your Sakiras, like they're good enough to uh, fill in the gaps. Um, yeah, it's a it's a tricky situation. I almost wonder. So based on based on some of the things that like management has said, they <clears throat> they're not talking this year about winning the cup. They're talking this year about getting back into the playoffs. It's in all of those believe in one goal hype videos that they've been marketing. It's like like John McDonough said it in uh, interviews during the off season. I think the plan this year even if they don't outright come out and say it, is that they want to, uh, they want to continue building up the farm system. They want to develop the young guys. They want to, they want to make the veterans hungry again. And uh, they, want, they want guys like Saad and Taves and uh, Seabrook and Keith to work on having bounce back seasons. And then maybe next year, maybe 1920, they they start pushing for uh, making it back to the Stanley Cup final. Maybe this year, you know, we, we're out. We get to the playoffs, but we're out in the first or second round. And maybe that's good enough. Maybe that's good enough for Q to keep his job and for Bowman to keep his job. And we don't necessarily have to... You know, the way things are looking now, if, if this pace continues, then maybe we do get back into the playoffs and we do make it one or two rounds before we're out. But that's good enough. Like, that's good enough for this year. And then by next year, by next year, maybe you see you see guys like uh, like Adam Boquist or Nicholas Bodan or Ian Mitchell stepping right into the NHL out of training camp, much like... Henry Yoki Hardy did. I mean, even if one of those guys makes the uh, makes the team out of camp next season, I think that'll have a profound impact on our defense. Mm-hmm. I definitely think so. <clears throat> I think, yeah, I, w I think at this point, like, making the playoffs with the roster we currently have would definitely be considered a win for the season. Mm -hmm. Like, ideally, you want to see him make it all the way to the cup, but reality is probably not going to happen. Yeah. Like, I would think for a very successful season would be second round mm -hmm. at most conference finals. Yeah. But, yeah, I, like, that for sure would make, like, nobody... Like Q and Bowman would still be back. We'll be back next season. Yeah, um, I think. I I think that if if we're like third or fourth in the division and we're looking like we're gonna land a playoff spot, I think it's very important that Bowman not get too ahead of himself and go out and make some crazy trade deadline acquisition and leverage a bunch of like, you know, leverage our future and like get rid of a bunch of early first round picks that we could use um, to uh, 
to like rebuild our farm system with some really talented guys in the, in the next couple of years. I think it's it's important that he not do that and that we just kind of we focus on making the playoffs with mostly the roster that we have and if we do get to like the the first or second round then consider that a success and then go all in maybe next season once we've got that that infusion of young defensemen and uh you know Alex Debrinkit is like a 35 goal scorer and uh Nick Schmaltz is maybe like a like a 50% face-off guy and uh, a 60 70 point scorer and uh, and maybe we've got uh maybe we make some some big uh free agency acquisitions like after this season we're going to have Cam Ward off the books we're going to have uh, Marcus Kruger off the books. We're going to have... Um, uh, I don't know if we bring back Jan Ruda. He's he's a free agent after this, but I, I don't know if we bring him back. Um, but a defenseman, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's making $2.4 million a season. But it's just one year. So, I mean, there's... We could probably like just by not re-signing guys, we could probably clear like like ten million dollars in cap space. Yeah, but at the same time, it wouldn't be worth it to go just after like at one big piece. I would think you would need like two middle pieces, if anything. Like I two or three you could probably get with. <clears throat> I think. I think maybe uh, after this season, because Marcus Kruger is making like three million or something like that, but. Uh, moving forward, I don't think he's worth that. I think maybe if we could give Kruger one million or one and a half million, like that's, you know, he's he's still he can still win faceoffs. He's still a good defensive player. He's you know he'd be a great bottom six center. Um, uh, you could use him on the PK. He's just not you know as young as he used to be. Um, we have we have just so many defensemen who are not. Great. I think if you if you cleared out your uh, your Brandon Mannings and your uh, uh, your uh, Jan Rudas and uh, guys like that, and then you do maybe like Adam Boquist makes the team next year, and maybe uh, uh, maybe Nicholas Bodan makes the team next year, and maybe you sign a top four guy in free agency next year, and then you've got you got this rock solid defense. On top of, you know, uh, 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 Taves, Cahoon, Saad, Schmaltz, Debrinket, uh, Sakira, these guys who can score and provide offense, then, like, maybe you've got a cup contender next year. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, like, the one thing I definitely want to see <clears throat> more than anything is just how much like Yoki Haru um, develops during the course of the season as well as like the other younger guys. Yeah. Um, because that's one of the things, like you want to see the young guys improve throughout the season. Yeah. And I would think if they continue to improve, that would definitely help the team out with their chances of making the playoffs this season. Yeah. Um, but I mean, granted, it's the Central Division and it is the... Definitely the toughest division in the league, so. Oh, so tough. Like, what? looking at this right now, the Hawks are have the seventh best record in the league, but they're in a wild card spot currently in the Western Conference. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Um, cause, yeah, Nashville and Winnipeg basically locked up for those first two spots because those two are, are genuine long-term cup contenders. Uh, and then really... Really, I could see just about every other team in the division fighting for that number three spot. Except Detroit. Or, not Detroit, St. Louis. <laughs> they're, they're off to a rough start, but I think they have... I think St. Louis has the... Um, Potential. I think they've got the players to be a solid playoff team. Maybe, like, the coaching needs to change. Uh... Because I, I could see I could see Mike Yeo getting fired or something midseason, if things don't turn around for them. I don't know who mm -hmm. they get to replace him. There's uh, 
there's not exactly a wealth of great NHL coaches waiting in the wings. It's just like this big shuffleboard game until someone like, you know, someone like Babcock or Cooper or Quinville gets let go and then everyone's uh, banging down their door to get them to coach their team. Okay, so uh, next topic. With Artemi Panarin apparently unwilling to re-sign with Columbus, do the Blackhawks try to get him back? Oh, absolutely. You think so? Absolutely. Really? Okay. I mean, there's even been rumors of him wanting to come back to the team. I I do recall there was um <clears throat> I do recall him saying that he he would be willing to go back to Chicago. Uh, the the concern there is that uh, in his next contract he's probably gonna ask for like ten million dollars. Um, we've already got two ten million dollar players, and I don't see it doesn't feel like a wise decision for us to sign another ten million dollar player. True. Um, especially if he ends up wanting term in addition to that, like eight years, $10 million. There's like, that's just, that's so much. Mm -hmm. That's so much. That is, uh, what's the cap right now? Like 82 million, I think. Yeah. I think it's like 82 million or 81 and a half. Um, and you know, maybe the cap goes up to 83, 84 next year. Um, we've still only got. Five million in space. Maybe we clear another five to eight million in the off season. Um, I just I don't see it happening, um, and I don't think I don't think Panarin doing a victory lap with uh, Patrick Kane is enough of a incentive. Um, however, I do I do agree that uh, it is in Bowman's best interest to call Panarin's agent and say how much. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the least he can do. Yeah, I mean, considering he's familiar with the team, the culture, and all that, I mean, you never know. I he, Maybe he loves Chicago so much he's willing to take a discount to come back. Maybe. You don't know. But maybe. it's definitely worth giving that phone call, like, hey. Yeah, you're, you're not like, doing your job, what, you know? What's your number? Like, you know that, like, even during, even with, like, Tavares or something, like, Bowman must have called his agent and said, how much? Okay, that's too much. See ya. Um, but I, I really don't see Panarin coming back. Yeah, and I mean, you know, thinking about it too, thinking about it too, <clears throat> like with with the development of Debrinket and how mm-hmm. well he's been performing, like he's been a viable replacement so far for yeah for yeah. Panarin. Um, although. Although he's mostly played on Taves' line uh, rather than Kane's line. Uh, I think Kane misses Panarin more than anyone. Um, uh, Okay, so earlier we were talking about... um, uh, We were talking about... We were joking about how if the Hawks went 41-0 and 41, it would be 123 points and they'd probably win the President's Trophy. And yet they'd only have one half their games. So... My question is, uh, this is something that came up a little bit in the last couple of years. Uh, people are saying that, some people are saying that maybe regulation wins should be worth three points. Um, the benefits here being that it kind of gives you a more accurate picture of who the best teams in the league are. Because, you know, an overtime win and a regulation win, they're, they're both worth the same thing. Whereas, you know, a team that wins in regulation is like, all the time, is probably better than a team that wins in regulation half the time. Uh, The other part of that is that a lot of the time when you've got a tie game and it's ticking down to, like, 10 minutes left in the third period, everyone just starts playing really boring and defensively because they want to get to overtime and they want to ensure that they've got their, their one point in the standings before they start going after that second point. So how do you feel about that? You know, I would actually have no issue if they were to switch to that three points for a win, one point for uh, overtime. Because as it current, like for example, soccer, that's how they do their scoring system. Like oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so the winning team gets three points, the losing team gets nothing, and in the case of a draw, they both get one point. Hmm. So yeah, no, it definitely 
helps paint a bigger picture of like who the better teams are, but it also makes I feel like it would make the league even more competitive because mm-hmm. you're not just going off of these like oh two or one points where the difference between making the playoffs can come down to regulation versus overtime losses. Mm-hmm. Whereas with that three-point scoring system, like, no. Like, you actually have to really put it on, put it on, especially towards the end of the season, if you're fighting for a playoff spot. You can't... Like, those top teams can't get too complacent because those mm-hmm. teams that are chasing them can easily come back and take them over if mm-hmm. if they become compl- complacent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of on the fence here. I, I think that there's a real good argument to be made that it's worth ensuring that the best teams, only the best teams, make it into the playoffs. Um, however... I could see I could see situations where you know it's it's like February. It's like January, February and your team is like already out of it. And like that's you know it's it's disconcerting for fans and it's uh it's not great for like the team's revenue. Um it's not good for the league's revenue, which means that uh the uh, uh, like the salary cap doesn't go up as much uh, because that's like that's linked to the uh, as like a percentage of the league's total revenue for the year. Um, my thought is like think of like the fifteen sixteen Penguins. They got off to a really rough start. They fired their coach in December. They hired Mike Sullivan, and then they were hot the second half of the season wound up winning the cup. Mm-hmm. Or like the 16-17 Nashville Predators. Uh, they they were, you know, they were kind of slow to start, but then they were like red hot by the time uh, the playoffs rolled around. They snuck into that second wild card spot, and then they steamrolled the entire Western Conference all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So my thought is, like, I want... I want the thing that's that makes for great narratives. I want um, I want the thing that surprises me. Um, I don't necessarily want the NHL to become. I I, I don't want there to be no surprises. Um, I because like. Surprises, surprises in hockey, I think, are like, it's it's one of the biggest selling points, really, because uh, you don't have, like in the NBA, you don't have uh, Golden State playing, like the, like the Bucks in round one, and then the Bucks like, like steamroll the entire conference into the final, like that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it you. It's the point I'm trying to make is when when you force parity a little bit, it uh, it can it can like it can make bad teams look better than they actually are, and it can make great teams look worse than they actually are. Which on the surface doesn't sound like a great argument, but then you do end up with those those situations where. Uh, you've got your your sixteen seventeen Nashville Predators sweeping the Western Conference champs. R.I.P. sixteen seventeen Blackhawks. And as much as as dreadful as that playoff round was for us, you got to admit, like as a hockey fan, not as a Blackhawks fan, that was a pretty cool narrative. The the eighth seed in the West, steamrolling the Western Conference. All the way to the final, or um, uh, or like this isn't tied to like uh, like parity in the standings or anything, but like the uh, uh, 
the 17, 18 uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Like, that was a great story. Mm-hmm. That was a great narrative. I, I, want, I want great narratives is what I want. And I feel like forcing a little bit of parity with, um, by keeping regulation wins as two points kind of adds to that. And uh, it, keeps you, it keeps you excited. It keeps you in the game. Even when your team's not that great, but you're also like only like four points out of a wild card spot with like ten games left in the season, you know, it's uh it's more exciting that way. It keeps you invested. It keeps butts in seats. It keeps the money flowing. So I, I think that's kind of where I fall. But I could totally understand the argument for three point regulation wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh. So I see you removed your your discussion topic. Yes, because I couldn't find anything else on it to even oh. talk about. So <laughs> okay, that's fine. So okay, so I, I'll I'll just touch up on it though. But I was listening to um, the Hawks radio broadcast a bit mm-hmm. on my way home from um, class on Thursday night, and they were talking about how DeBrinket had been getting a little bit of time on the PK unit. Which, like, you know what? I found that a little interesting. I think it's just a matter of Q seeing that he's been hustling mm-hmm. quite a bit and he's shown a little bit of promise in his defense. So I wonder if it's just a matter of Q just, like, hey, if trying to play around with the PK units, considering, like, they started off pretty badly and gradu- they've been gradually, it's been improving a bit over the last few games yeah it's it's certainly an interesting decision um because uh, is really not a defensive player he is he is plus six this season and uh so last year he had he had 28 goals and 24 assists but this year he has actually it's about the same this year. Eight goals and six assists. It, it it's kind of a similar pace, um, but yeah, I don't know. He doesn't really he doesn't really cross me as a defensive player. But I guess you know Q loves his line his line blender. So yeah, I think what if I remember correctly, I think one of the things they touched on was just the fact that like how much pressure he put like he's able to put on like. The, on the points, mm-hmm. just because of the offensive threat that he is, and his speed, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the reason why that Q was trying him on the PK unit. Because obviously, if you have a player pressuring the points, it's it could eventually lead to some bad passes that result in turnovers. Yeah, and then with the bring its speed, he just blow past the defense mm-hmm. if they end up having to chase him down. So, yeah, so yeah, that's why I I see like, like I don't recall seeing him on the PK like from what I've seen, but it was just I found it interesting that I, I overheard them talking about that on the radio. Yeah. Um, unrelated, but I I noticed that his shooting percentage last season was fifteen and a half percent, which is like. Elite. Like, in your rookie season, I don't know how you even, like, sniff double digits. But he did it. He's at 24.2% right now. Um, he's, you know, bound to regress from that point. But... I don't see any signs of the sophomore slump happening, so... No. No, he's, he's looking good. Um, 14 points in... 10 games. Yeah, that's impressive. That's, uh, again, that's bound to regress. I don't see him having like a, like a 100-point season, but um, cuz you got to be you got to be a player like Patrick Kane or Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid to have a 100-point season. Mm-hmm. Um, although he did play on a line with Connor McDavid uh, in Erie. And they won in uh, they won a couple of I don't know how many. They won at least one OHL championships together. Yeah, and then 
was looking at um, <clears throat> NBC Sports website. They're telling like like ten things about the Blackhawks mm-hmm. after ten games, and one of the things it touches on Patrick Kane making an early case for MVP. So it says, it's hard to believe that Kane is off to the best start of his NHL career with nine goals through his first ten games, becoming the first player in franchise history to do that since Jeremy Roenick in 93-94. Then, as a reference, Kane didn't score his ninth goal until the 14th game during his Hart Trophy season, which Mm. was 15-16, which when he finished with 40 goals and 106 Mm. points. So it says he's currently only one goal away from the lead league in goals and two points shy in points overall. So, I mean, yeah, it's, like he's off to a really hot start. Yeah, it's possible. He's got to sustain that, though, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, maybe possible if, uh, if like, you know, like Schmaltz is a, Schmaltz is a great playmaker if, if uh, you know, if that line continues to produce. And then, like, he's been playing with uh, Saad on the left wing. Um, now, Saad, if, you know, if he's good for nothing else, it's driving the net. So yeah, there's there's some real potential there. Then one of the other things too, um, talking about like the scoring for the Hawks, mm-hmm. like as a as a team they have thirty seven goals, but twenty three of them have come between Taves, DeBrinket, and Kane. I I think those two are uh, excuse me those three are going to like compete for goals scored this season, mm-hmm. and I love it. I mean, I would love if each one of them could at least finish with thirty plus this season. That would be insane, and I feel like they they're on pace to do it. So yeah. Okay, so that's all we have for today. Um, we'll be back in another two weeks. I'm actually thinking of maybe doing uh, like shaking the format up a little bit. So maybe we do like maybe we do like um, like we'll record two episodes in a day. Like we'll do like news and stuff for this day. And then maybe release like discussion topics, like the following week, so that there's a new podcast every week, but it's maybe like half the length or something. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm mulling it over, because um, I'd like to I'd like to release this thing a little bit more regularly than every two weeks, um, without necessarily forcing us to get together every two weeks because uh, life gets busy. But that's it. That's all we have for this week. We will. Talk to you guys in another two weeks. Go Hawks. Bye.